Open Kwong Door Media presents Storytime with Paul Door. In each episode, you'll receive a short adrenaline shot of a story straight to the mind, heart, or sometimes the funny bone, wherever that is located. I can hear your voice over the hum. And stay tuned after the story for Paul's Picks, where I indulge you with something I'm reading, watching, or listening to. This week's story, Phantom Limb. The first recorded and studied Phantom Limb appeared in 1871 by Silas Veer Mitchell. Amputee patients expressed a feeling that the lost limb was still present and in some cases caused pain discomfort, or cramping. Phantom limb pain has largely been more of a curiosity, but studies over the past 20 years have used this phenomenon to research neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to change. A phantom limb occurs when an extremity is amputated, but the patient physically feels that the lost arm or leg is still attached to the body. In many instances, Phantom pain accompanies the illusioned limb. The phantom appears most commonly in external amputations, but patients have experienced menstrual cramps after a hysterectomy or acute pain of appendicitis following the removal of the inflamed appendix. V.S. Ramachandran at the Center for Brain and Cognition at the University of California analyzes phantom pain through the following pieces of information surrounding the limb loss. Incidence, onset, duration, and posture. Research has shown that the incidence of phantom pain in patients is higher following a traumatic loss or if there was a pre-existing painful condition in the limb prior to amputation. Phantom pain is seen less in early childhood due to the limited accumulation of experiences. 75% of cases experience phantom pain immediately, and the appearance may be delayed by a few days or weeks in the remaining 25%. The duration of phantom pain can last from a few days or weeks to reported cases of up to 57 years. Phantom limbs tend to occupy a habitual posture that creates the pain or discomfort. Ramachandran discusses cases such as a soldier who had a grenade explode in his hand, leaving behind a phantom hand stuck in a permanently clenched and painful posture. Another man lost a finger over 30 years ago. The phantom finger appeared 28 years later. The ingrained memories in the digit brought back to life after an extended respite. Memories expand beyond the limits of the mind and lay dormant in every part of our body, waiting to be woken. According to Ramachandran, another fascinating but poorly understood aspect of phantom limbs concerns not only the continued existence of memories in the phantom, of sensation that existed in the arm just prior to the amputation, but also the re-emergence of a long-lost memory pertaining to that arm. 
Imagine curling your wrist and holding it in that position for hours, days, months, years. The discomfort would be intolerable. But there is a psychological reason why that arm is clenched. Ramachandran draws a very stern line that the phantom limb pain is an illusion, not a delusion. Even though the limb has been removed, the pain is a very real physical ailment involving suffering, but also contains a psychological condition within the mind. Our brains have mapped out a physical body image. The millions of messages and decisions necessary to operate everything from breathing to moving fingers is so ingrained that the removal of a limb is difficult to perceive. It is physically obvious that the limb is missing, but not in accordance with our internal map. If the state of California falls into the Pacific Ocean, a new map of the United States will be created. Until that new map is created, California still exists, topographically speaking. In order to dispel the phantom pain, the messaging from the brain must change. The narrative it has created must adapt to the new circumstances. Old connections must be broken and new ones established. A new map must be drawn. When dealing with an amputated arm, the brain is confronted with a flood of conflicting signals. Again, from Ramachandran, frontal areas send motor commands to the phantom that are simultaneously monitored. In a normal person, execution of these commands is verified by visual feedback from the arm, but in an amputee, there is no verification, hence the conflict. The body image or internal map that the brain established contradicts what is physically happening externally. The brain wants its messages to be heard, so it creates the phantom limb in order to continue consistency, even if this includes pre-existing pain. Everything must continue to go according to the plan. Patients claim that they can generate voluntary movements in their phantom. They experience sensations of reaching out to grab an object, make a fist, or move fingers individually. Other patients have phantom limbs that include paralysis. Usually, the stasis has been carried over from before amputation. Ramachandran claims that the patient develops a learned paralysis. During the months leading up to amputation, the brain remaps its messages to adapt the paralyzed limb and transitions these messages into the phantom. The brain does not know the limb is missing. It cannot see that there is no arm or leg to receive messages. It does not reinterpret but creates the phantom to conform to what it expects to see. Phantom limbs show how the brain is adamant to retain consistency. 
This is all very interesting, but how does it apply to memories? The concept of brain-body image, learned movement, and consistency can be applied to the interpretation of messages in relation to experiential past memories. Just as the phantom limb is created to retain consistency with our body image, memories affect us in a way that creates a consistent internal image of who we are and how we develop. The phantom limb commonly retains its painful memories. Past experiences can contain similar painful memories. They do not necessarily affect us physically, but psychologically. We create phantom limbs out of past experiences and memories that impact how we develop into adulthood. By remapping the messages sent from the brain to the phantom limb, can the pain be released? By reinterpreting past experiences, can we change how they have affected our lives? Let's see who has more friends, you or me, Tyler said to the boy. We'll ask everyone and we'll figure out just who's more popular. Safe to say the relationship between the boy and Tyler had taken a strange turn. Everything changes, nothing stays the same. There was little explanation besides the abstract concept of growing older and Tyler realizing the irrefutable differences between them. Status became important and there wasn't much that the boy had to offer. They walked around the playground, the boy trailing behind Tyler as he asked every kid, who do you like better, me or him? Due to Tyler's place in the elementary school hierarchy as compared to the boys, and from the perspective of the other kids' long-term reasons for social seating during the year ahead in junior high school, it was an overwhelming landslide. The boy was confused as to what this actually proved. The facts were already quite relevant. There was something else at work here, some message the boy had yet to comprehend. The boy and Tyler drifted apart after this. Junior high school turned into high school, Tyler was the basketball star and football star and surrounded himself with friends of similar stature. The boy would regularly pass Tyler in the hallway as he exited the advanced mathematics class. A fleeting look of recognition appeared until one of Tyler's more appropriate associates clapped him on the back to regain his attention. There was no going back for both of them. The boy made his own friends, others that found themselves on the fringes, others on the outside looking in. They were interesting people, not concerned with popularity, status, or stimuli that clouded the average high schooler's mind. There was nothing to prove to them. They took the boy as he was. He was thankful. Sometimes the boy thought about Tyler. In his meanderings, he wondered why their friendship was impossible. His thoughts often turned from Tyler and relocated to looking internally at his own defects at what was wrong with him. The boy watched a lot of movies and read a lot of books and noticed that the hero was often an outsider. He transferred the narratives created with toys and explored his defects through these fictional characters on screen and on paper. They were so confident in their independence, proud of their defects. The heroes were the outsider. It gave them an edge and made them cool. Scars were worn on their sleeves. 
The boy felt he had no edge and was not remotely cool. He was a robot transforming into a space shuttle that wanted to orbit the moon. Tyler was transforming into a train, accumulating other passengers he would become bored with, his destination of little interest, even to himself. Time is needed in order to see that change is possible, and tiny increments of change add up over time. tell you about something I'm reading, watching, or listening to. I think fat is one of those sort of final frontiers of discriminations because most people see it as a preventable problem. Roxane Gay is one of those writers that kept coming up in various conversations over the years. Finally, I got around to reading her latest book, Hunger. So when I was 12, I was assaulted by a group of boys, and in the aftermath of that, I was just absolutely destroyed. You know, when you're traumatized, you're looking for some sort of comfort. And for me, comfort came quickly by way of food. I thought if I was bigger, then I wouldn't get hurt again. The New York Times bestselling author has written with intimacy and sensitivity about food and bodies, using her own emotional and psychological struggles as a means of exploring our shared anxieties over pleasure, consumption, appearance, and health. You know, I think that as a feminist, I believe that acceptance is incredibly important, particularly for women. But it's hard to hold on to that, you know, when you're sort of dealing with the world day in and day out, and when you're dealing with the kinds of discrimination and fat phobia that exist in the world. Personally, I cried several times while reading this book. It took me a long time to realize that the deeper and more personal you write, the more universal your story. I have lived a totally different life than gay, but there were so many times that I connected to her pain, sensitivity, and honesty. Thank you for listening to Storytime with Paul Dorr, which is brought to you by Open Kwong Door Media and is produced by me and PJ Kwong. The theme music is by the amazingly talented singer-songwriter Arlene Kapula. Find all things Arlene at arlenepapulian.com. Visit openquangdoor.com and listen to our other show, the At Skating PJ Podcast. Check out paldoor.com to read my blog, get info about my novel, storytelling events, and other things. If you like what you hear, we'd appreciate if you leave a comment on iTunes. That's all for now. Until next time, keep listening to each other.